turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. The freedom of acceptance. The freedom of acceptance. That's what we are speaking to today. Paul continuing in his in his uh, really opening paragraphs of this letter, uh, assuring yet again the churches in Galatia that the gospel that he preached is God-given. Amen? Chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 1 of Galatians reads like this, Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But, though, but from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked in Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Lord, I thank you, O God, for this opportunity to once again open the book and to read of you, Lord. Help us to... Be encouraged by this message today. Help us to be edified in our spirit, Lord, as we edify one another. Lord, help us to bring this message outside of these doors, into the streets, into the workplaces, into the marketplaces, O oh God, making us a light, Lord, that You have. Let us shine on top of the hill, Lord, to not be hidden. Lord, I ask this in Your precious name. Amen. Tim Keller who has recently passed to go on with the Lord, one of our modern-day theologians, says that uh, he's never heard this passage read in a wedding. He's never even seen anybody cross-stitch their favorite verse from this passage. It's a passage, uh, the passages like this, they really do excite me because it's these passages that we do in these book series that we tend to just read over. Here, here comes Paul again, right, explaining yet again uh, something that he's done in his life, right? We've been through the first chapter and, and, and Paul gives his testimony. He says, I was, I was blinded by the Lord, right? 
And three years in the desert. After those three years, I went and I spent 15 days with Peter. And then I went back to do the Lord's work. And here we are again. He's saying 14 years after that. So that's 17 years into the ministry of Paul. Three years set apart in the wilderness, taught by Christ Himself. 14 years in the ministry. And he's just now going to present his gospel, that is, the gospel that he preaches, and he's bringing along Barnabas, who if you've read through Acts, is the one who actually brought Paul in to the apostles the first time because Paul is uh, he's, he's converted, right? He's the murderer of the church. He's the one breathing out threats towards the church. And he comes and he's like, I need to talk to y'all. And they're like, no way, we're not opening the door. You didn't, you didn't use the right sign. You Saul of Tarsus, you're not coming in. And it was Barnabas who stood up and, and witnessed towards Saul of Tarsus saying he is one of us, that here is some fruit of his repentance. And they, they brought him in. That's all in Acts. And, and, and that is within the first three years. That is the 15 days. And, and, and Barnabas actually leaves with Paul and they go to the... Gentiles, and here we are 14 years later. And it's this passage that is like a lot of those scriptures that we read in our, you know, if you're reading through the Bible in a year plan, or if you have a daily devotion, and and, and here comes Galatians 2, read Galatians chapter 2, and we want to hurry and skip to that middle part because it's really cool that Paul speaks against. Peter, right? That he calls down the Apostle Peter. And we want to read about that. Or maybe you want to skip even that part because uh, confrontation isn't, isn't my, my thing, right? It isn't my bag. And I want to get to the end of chapter 2 where Paul speaks of grace and of freedom. And, and it's great, right? That's where we'll do the devotion. But there's something in every verse of the Bible that we need to learn from. It is Paul himself who tells Timothy that everything in the book is good. That it is all meant for teaching. That it is all good for doctrine. That we need to know all of it. There are those today with very prominent names that stand up in pulpits a lot like this and seek to decouple the Old Testament from the New Testament. And Paul himself is saying, no, no, no. We need to know the Old Testament so that we can understand the New Testament. We forget sometimes that the apostles, the, the early church, Peter standing up and preaching at the day of Pentecost and 3,000 come to Christ. He's quoting Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. Just a few days later, when he's standing in the synagogue and 5,000 come to Christ, in just a matter of a week's time, there's seven thousand that we know of that come to Christ and and that's just men women and children are included in that also and they're quoting Joel and Jude or not Jude I'm sorry Joel and and the prophets right and even parts of the law Exodus and Leviticus even and all of this stuff is is illuminating those who have been taught this their whole life what's the what's the change what's the difference Christ has come. He has died for your sins. He has rose again. He ascended to the Father. And the fulfillment of that high priestly prayer was that when I go, 
I'm going to pray to the Father and we're going to send the Comforter. And here's a few things that that Spirit of God is going to do in the land. He's going to testify of Me. And He's going to illuminate the darkness of your heart. And He's going to change your mind. He's going to cause a shift in some of those same verses, those same passages that these men and women could quote better than we could, better than we can. Now it makes sense. Hold on, wait a minute. You mean Joel was speaking about now? What must we do to be saved? What have we done? Peter doesn't hold any punches back. He says, you killed the Christ. And they go, what, what, what can we do? You have to understand the plea of their heart. They have killed the Son of God. What can I do to be saved? And Peter goes, believe. Believe. If we could understand that this morning. It wasn't what they had done. Because if it was the work that they had done, the good work that they thought they had done, their good work was the murder of the Messiah. They have no good works. It's not even in what they do but it's in who they believe in. Amen? With faith in Jesus, we gain freedom. Faith is is nothing other than Jesus placing us out of bondage. I believe in Christ. Christ, right? James is the perfect law of liberty. And what I gain in that trust is liberty. Liberty to do what? Liberty to live freely in Christ. And and we we have all gained that. If if you're saved this morning, we have all gained that liberty. But what I want to speak to today and while we're going through Galatians is as a church, this one included and the church at large, we can place ourselves back under bondage because really our problem is I don't feel accepted. I've done too much and God says I don't care. I'm going to save you. And, And I've placed my faith and my trust in what Christ has done on the cross, but now I have to do something. I have Surely it can't be that easy. God can't just accept me for who I am. I have to be better. I have to do something. And, and God says, no, no. You'll never achieve what Christ has done. It's through Him and His righteousness I have accepted you. Yes, you will grow in maturity. Yes, you will go on to do many good works, right? Matthew, the Gospels, you will go on to do many good works, even more in quantity than Christ did Himself because He was bound. Think about this, a timeless God bound in space and time. He could only be in one place at one time as Christ. And He says, y'all are many. One Spirit, one Father, one Christ, one salvation. And you do it everywhere. But our problem is is, is we can place ourselves back under bondage, living in the perfect law of liberty, and in our own eyes, not be accepted by God. And when God says in His Word that we can do what? We can boldly now approach the throne of God, something that the angels don't even 
get to do. He's accepted us in His Son. We need to understand that this morning. We'll live in a lot more joyful existence. You'll live in a lot more freedom in the Spirit once you realize God accepts you. He loves you. He delights in you. He delights in the fact that you are now found in His Son. All while working out the you and you. Amen. No bondage like our sinfulness. Uh, not bondage like our sinfulness. We don't place ourselves under bondage like we were in sin. Our eyes have been opened. Our mind has been renewed. We now have a heart of flesh. But bondage nevertheless. A bondage of religious acts. I have to do these things in order to be better. When Christ says, I have done the work. I have done the work. You are accepted. Paul would claim that this bondage of gaining acceptance with God uh, through religious works is just that. It's, it's bondage. You can't make yourself any better and you can't make yourself any worse. You are who you are. Paul said that of himself. I am who I am. And what Paul said was, I was a murderer, and now I'm an apostle. I am what I am. We say the same thing for us, but the problem is, is we sometimes still see ourselves as who we were. I'm looking through spiritual eyes. I can tell that I'm awake. I know that Christ lives in me. His Spirit indwells in me. I'm convicted on almost a daily basis. I repent for my sins that I know. I ask for mercy for the sins that I don't know. But I'm still, I'm still that old Scott in my eyes sometimes. When I look in the mirror, I don't see the Son of God that God calls me. I see the wretched sinner that I was. And that places me under a bondage that God hasn't placed on us. Romans 8 and 1. So there's now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Amen? We need to, we need to see that. Does that mean we're perfect? That ain't what I'm saying. I'm saying God accepts you. Is He winking at sin? That's not what I'm saying either. I'm saying God accepts you. God has called you to do marvelous things. And as you do those things, He's perfecting you from glory to glory. Ultimately, receiving you in glory. It's faith in Jesus and His finished work And that's it. See, here's the problem. Here's the problem that we have in Galatians. It's the problem that we have even today in especially the Western world. Some people were arguing that in order to accept God, to be accepted by God, you needed Jesus plus something else. That's what these Judaizers come in and they said, Paul preached the gospel of grace, faith alone through the grace of God alone, through Christ Jesus alone. And these Judaizers come in and said, you're on the right path, but in order to be truly saved, 
You need Jesus plus you need to become a Jew. You need to adhere to these laws. You need to, you need to be circumcised. That's what the circumcision means. When God says, and what Paul was preaching was, you already have been. It's a spiritual circumcision. The Word of God says that in salvation, God come in and He circumcised your heart. That is, that He spiritually brought you under covenant with Him. Amen. These Judaizers come in and said, you got, a, you got a good thing going. you got a good foundation. Now let's build on it. You need Jesus plus something else. It's faith in Jesus and His finished work, but you also need fill in the blank. You can fill in the blank here. Paul had been ministering for 14 years at this point, and he says that what's at stake threatens even his validation. Everything that he had preached for 14 years, if, if this was wrong, if you had to convert to Judaism in order to be truly saved, then everything that he had preached for 14 years was in vain. He was about to have to start a I'm sorry campaign and go church to church and say, I, I've lied to you. I got it wrong. Here's what you need to do. There was about to be a lot of issues with this. Acts 15 is the council of Jerusalem where they face this issue and the church at large comes all in one place. And the question is this, do you have to be converted to Judaism in order to be truly saved? And here's where we find ourselves in Paul's words. He says, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with us. Where was he going? To this council. To this council. And how did he, how did he know to go to this council? He didn't receive a letter. He didn't hear word of mouth. He said it was by revelation that we need to go. And when he gets there, he meets in private, and then he gives his gospel, and then those that are in charge says, you need to come to, the, you need to, come to this meeting with us. And in this meeting in Acts 15, there's Pharisees who believe. Go, go and read it. Pharisees who believe, who stand up and say, we think in order to be fully Christian, you should adhere to this law. You should be circumcised. You should follow the, the cultural laws. You should follow the moral laws. You should follow the kosher laws. You should follow everything. Same as we've had to do, you need to do. Right? And then there's those who stood up and said, I don't, I don't think that's right. And really what they did was they reasoned together and Paul brings two examples. He brings Titus, who is a Gentile, who's fully converted, who's been working in the ministry, who is going to become a pillar in the churches to the Gentiles, and he brings himself. He brings Titus, an uncircumcised Gentile, full of the Holy Ghost, and he brings Paul. He's ministered for 14 years, and he says, we got, we got to figure this out. We, we really need to nail this down because this secondary issue is really approaching upon the gospel of Christ. And what we're really saying is if we are telling these Gentiles to be Jews, 
then where's grace? What's, what's the point of all of this? What we're really speaking of today and, and, and why the water is so muddied in this is Paul isn't speaking against the law. The Pharisees that stood up and said, we are keeping the law and we're also followers of Christ, that was perfectly okay. The problem is, is whenever they decided to place their convictions on somebody else. See, what we're really talking about is a may or a must. May somebody live under their convictions? Perfect example of that is, is my Uncle Aubrey and my dad come to salvation around the same times. Both grew up wearing cowboy boots, right? But it was a sign of pride for my Uncle Aubrey. He, if you see him, you can ask him. He's preached on this my whole life, and it's true. He was convicted of wearing cowboy boots. He couldn't wear them. If he was to put a set of cowboy boots on, it would be sin in his life because the Holy Ghost had convicted him of the pride in his life. It had nothing to do with the boots, but it represented pride. So my dad wore the same size boots. My dad was blessed with several pairs of boots because for dad, they're just shoes. They're just boots. It, 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 it didn't matter. It wasn't a symbol to him. It's just what we wore, right? The problem would be was May... Uncle Aubrey live under a conviction of not wearing cowboy boots? Absolutely. It's the perfect law of liberty. We're free to live under however many laws we want to live under. But if he was to adhere that law to everybody, now it's legalism. You understand? It was a may for him, not a must. Dad could have, could, in solidarity, helping his brother, he could have said, you know what, I'm not going to wear them either. But years down the road, if dad got a pair of cowboy boots, that's not a problem for him. Now, cowboy boots is easy. You know, you're like, what in the world? It's just a set of shoes. But apply that same logic to a lot of churches, and you see the problem. We're trying to live out someone else's personal convictions when it doesn't have anything to do with the thing, right? Should we wear a tie? Should we not wear a tie? Should we wear a long sleeve? Should we not wear a long sleeve? You know, should we meet on Sunday? Should we meet on Saturday? Should we have a midweek service on Wednesday? Can we have it on Tuesday? It, none, of, none of that matters. When it comes to salvation, you're saved and you are at liberty to serve God. Amen? Now for me, I have personal convictions that I cannot break. They're lines in the sand for me. Amen? But for you, that may not be a problem. Because really, like my Uncle Aubrey, it's not the thing. It's the sin behind the thing. It's the root of it. There was nothing wrong with cowboy boots. Got, got them on this morning. Didn't even mean to wear them like that. They went for, there's nothing wrong with cowboy boots. Pride will send you to hell. It, it, was, it was a pride thing. And the conviction come, Uncle Aubrey, don't wear those. Right? Aubrey Tyler, don't wear them. you got a pride problem. Okay, Lord. But he also didn't have a problem when somebody come in and they were wearing them. That didn't mean that not you have a pride problem, right? But if we're not careful, we'll apply that logic and it's thus saith the pulpit or thus saith the preacher and not thus saith the Lord. And now we have a problem. It's a great deal 
of ministry to real people. Real people are at danger when we preach false doctrine. When I preach my convictions as doctrine, it becomes a problem. Amen? If they go against the Word of God. We all have convictions that are from true doctrine and we can't, we can't cross that line, right? Like We can't say that Jesus isn't divine. That's, that should be a conviction of every true believer. Jesus is God, right? We, that's, a, that's a line in the sand. That's a closed hand of doctrine. There, there's no other way to the Father. We have to believe that or you're not truly Christian. Now what does that look like to serve God? Looks like a lot of different ways. We're all different. We all serve God in different ways and different matters. We all worship if you're saved in spirit and truth, but it manifests itself in different ways, right? What's at stake here is freedom and truth. You don't get any more basic than what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that if you get this issue wrong, three things are going to happen. It's a great deal of ministry to real people are going to be undone. We're going to lose our freedom and become slaves. And we're going to exchange the truth for a lie. That's what's going to happen. If we close the book, this is what it looks like for us. If we close the book and we set it aside and we say within ourselves, I know everything I need to know and I'm going to order that way. If we close the book and we allow God to go silent, men begin to speak and issues arise. God must be the one. Christ is the head of the church. He is the head. He is the one who teaches doctrine. He's the one who sets what is truth. What is a lie? He's the one who dictates what we preach, what we say, how we preach, how we say, who, uh, you know, how we witness. It, it's through Christ and Christ alone. This is why it's such an important deal for us. If we add something to Jesus in order to be accepted by God, the whole ministry is undone. What was the point of Him sending His only begotten Son to die the worst death possible? For Him to say from the cross is finished. It makes Christ a liar if I say it's not finished. What, what He did was great, but it just wasn't enough. I'm, I'm, I need to add a few things and then I can fully be accepted by God. No, when, when Christ said it's finished, that is a victory cry for us. He did the impossible. He made a way back to God. He did the thing that we can never do. He ripped the veil. He broke down the wall. He made us accepted. Send Him and Him alone. If we add something to Jesus in order to be accepted with God, ministry is done. We become, we become slaves and we lose the truth and we gain a lie. We're tempted to believe we need Jesus plus something else to, to be accepted by God, and this damages our ministry. It damages our witness, and it makes it very hard to back up with truth. Because if I say that I have to add something in order to be saved, 
where can I find that in the Word of God? You can't. When someone is truly seeking, when someone comes and the door has been opened and, and they're truly seeking and they come to you and they say, what must I do to be saved? And you start laying out 145 things that you have to do right, in order to be saved when the Word of God says you need to believe. And that's it. Believe in Christ. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Believe that He is Lord of your life because He is. Here's a little lanyard. Here's a little thing for you. Uh, he's still Lord whether you believe it or not. He's, you read the end of the book, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess that He is Lord. He's Lord over your life. You're just living in rebellion from Him. But here's the good news. You don't have to. He's made a way. So here's the example, right? We have the example here. First of Titus, a Gentile. He gives two working examples. Paul does something very, very specific and something very, I believe, God-led and very eye-opening to, to those that would say they need to change. He brings living examples. We're not just talking about a theology. We're not talking about a, 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 th a theoretical issue, a problem. Here's Titus. He's a Gentile and he believes in Christ. What do we do with him? Here's me, a murderer, a, a Pharisee who shouldn't be an apostle, but here I am. What, what do we do with me? Right? He makes this personal because it's a personal thing. It's very easy for us to sit behind our walls and, and figure out and dictate what it is to be a Christian. But when it starts to truly affect people, now we've got problems, right? So Paul brings Titus, a converted, uncircumcised Gentile, and he brings himself, an apostle chosen by God and placed in the same standing as the other apostles. Here's our two examples. Someone who shouldn't be a Christian by their standard and someone who shouldn't have authority by their standard. And here we are. Titus was one of Paul's co-workers. He played a major role in the churches in Corinth. He's going to be a, the lead pastor of the church in Corinth. Paul brings Titus to himself, a case study, a test study. Titus is trusted in, in Jesus. What do we do with him? The, the council at Jerusalem whatever they decided to do with Titus was going to dictate the rest of history. If they deemed Titus unworthy and he needed to be circumcised, then Paul just preached for 14 years in vain. He's got his gospel wrong. The, the person that he got his gospel must have been wrong. His whole ministry is wrong. Everything is bad. But what they did, if you remember our verses is they said two things. First, with Peter, they didn't add anything to the gospel that he preached. They said, nope, you got it. You got it right. Not only do you have it right, we feel the anointing, we understand and we discern the apostleship, and we also discern the differentiation. We are to go to the circumcised, and Paul, you are clearly set aside to preach to the Gentiles. But you have it. 
They didn't add anything. They didn't take anything. They didn't critique anything. They said, you preach that and everything's going to be all right. And then with Titus, the council, the head of the church, the apostles of Christ said he's good. Clearly, clearly. He doesn't need anything added to him. He is a Christian. So that's how we live our life. If God has saved someone, who are we then to put them under a yoke of bondage and saying you have to live a certain way? We, we, we're here to disciple those. And as young Christians, guess what? They make a lot of mistakes. Guess what? As mature Christians, I make a lot of mistakes. I still need discipleship. I haven't achieved anything yet. I, like Paul, I'm living as I, I haven't obtained it yet. I'm still reaching towards Christ because I'm not Christ-like. Paul is reminding us again that when we stand before God, nothing apart from Jesus matters. Nothing matters. The only thing that matters in this life is what you did with the Son. That's all that matters. Am I telling you not to work? God forbid. Paul would say that. Right? James, same thing. Some of the same people that Paul was talking to. Show me faith without works, I'll show you works without faith. It, it, it comes with the territory. You're going to work for God. But that doesn't add anything to you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I don't get to boast in it. All I get to do is go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. The Gospel is the grounds of our acceptance with God. Nothing else matters. So here's our real problem. We do have a problem, especially in this Western church that, 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 we, that we are associated with. Our, our real problem is accepting what God has done for us. Fully accepting and walking in the fact that you are truly saved. You have been saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. He that truly loves us and that He also delights, He loves us and He delights in the fact that we're accepted for Him. What gives Him more glory than a just God accepting the unjust? But doing it in a way that He doesn't lose His justice because it's the righteousness of the perfect one. That's applied to us. Our sins being paid for on the cross, and in return we receive perfect righteousness. We receive that which we did not deserve. Grace. A few quotes and we'll be finished today. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he pastored London, a church in London in the past century. And because of that, he would have many people come to him for counsel. And uh, he was very good at trying to get to the heart of the problems, not just talking of the issues or the effects of those issues, but getting down to the cause of it. Uh, sometimes he would ask them, how do you know that you're a Christian? If you go and read the doctor as he's called, uh, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of instances where they would have uh, all kinds of issues, problems, problems of marriage, problems at work, problems, all that stuff. And he would a lot of times start with that question, how do you know that you're a Christian? Because if you're not a Christian, that's the problem, right? It's, if we can establish that you are under grace, that you are a Christian, then now we have somewhere we can start from, right? So he would ask them, how do you know that you're a Christian? Do you know that uh, they would answer many times, they would say, I'm trying, right? And I feel that, you know, I'm trying. That would set off alarm bells in his head. What they were saying is, I think I'm a Christian because of Jesus plus the efforts that I'm putting into it. See, if I'm trying to be a Christian, you're not going to achieve that. But if I live as though I am a Christian trying to obtain Christ, now, now we have a, a foundation, a firm foundation. I am a Christian, and I have some things that i got to work through. I am a Christian, and I'm going to work while I'm here. I am a Christian, accepted by God, and by His grace, I'm going to be perfected day by day. You see the difference there. George Whitfield said this, before you can speak peace in your heart, you must not only be made sick of your original and actual sin, but you must be made sick of your righteousness, of all your duties and performances. There must be a deep conviction before you can be brought out of your self-righteousness. It is the last idol taken out of our heart. John Gershner, the the teacher of R.C. Sproul, said this, there is nothing that separates us from God more than our perceived good works. A man who thinks he is doing good works, a woman who thinks he is or she is doing good works, doesn't truly understand the severity of the situation. Amen? So what drives you? That's what Paul is really asking. And we can stand this morning. What drives you? Strip away everything that you are. Look at the root and see what pushes you. Is it the root of Jesse? Which is Jesus Christ? Or is it Jesus plus some preconceived work that, that you've added to your life? Take away everything that you do. If you still have Christ, you've gained. Amen? To live in Christ alone is, uh, is our salvation. It's to live in true peace. So I find myself in hard places. God, have mercy, right? I find myself being, being convicted. Thank you, Lord, for this conviction. Purge out of me that which, which isn't right. If you find yourself in persecution, we can speak like Paul and say, Thank you, Lord. You found me worthy to be persecuted. When you live a life truly submitted to God and with the understanding, the real understanding that you have been accepted, what, what can stand in front of you? What can separate you from God with an understanding like that? Oh, Satan, you're here to devour me? Let me just pray to my Father. Here, I'm just going to not 
I'm just going to act like you're not there. I'm going to resist you. And you know what he gets to do? Walk away. He has to flee. Because he can't do anything. He can't do anything. But if I'm trying to achieve acceptance to God through my works, all he has to do is point out everything that I fell at. And now, I, now he has a, what the Bible calls a foothold. All you think is because you dress the right way? Well, what happens when you cut your grass and you're wearing shorts? All you think is because you talk the right way? What happened when you got mad and you hit your thumb and under your breath when nobody could hear you said something? How could God accept you now? I pray this morning that we live with an understanding that our foundation is accepted by God. And what builds on top of that foundation, if it's not right, it's going to be burned away. And the good is going to be left. The Bible says it's like dross. It's going to be scraped away. And what's left is pure. Amen. Lord, we thank You for today. Lord, for the ones that are here, for the ones who can't be here, oh God. Lord, I ask that You move upon us. That You illuminate our soul this morning, oh God. That You bring into us, Lord, breathe into us a new understanding. Lord, of what You've actually done for us on the cross, what You've done in salvation. Lord, help us to be emboldened in this. Lord, to give us a foundation to stand upon this morning. Lord, for You have. But help us, O God. Help us understand. Lord, I ask this in Your name. Amen.